Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Visit RCAT.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. My guest today is Mark Kalin, FAIA, FCSI, president of Kalen Associates in Massachusetts, where my son lives in Boston. Mark is a registered architect with over 40 years experience preparing specifications. His firm, and I had to read this twice, his firm has prepared specifications for over 7,000, yep, that's what I just said, 7,000 construction projects, 600 building product manufacturers, and design standards for major universities. For AIA, Mark has been chair of the Master Spec Review Committee, Professional Interest Area for Specifications, and Library and Archives Committee. For CSI, my organization of choice, Mark has been chair of the Institute Technical Committee, Master Format Maintenance Task Team, and founded the CSI Sustainable Facilities Practice Group. Mark is the author of the original Green Spec and Kalen Associates Master Shortform Specifications. He has taught a graduate level course on spec writing at Harvard University, must mean he's smart, and lectures frequently at national conferences. Finally, Mark has been president of SKIP, Specifications in Independent Practice, and president of CSI Boston in two different centuries. But he's just just totally a young guy at heart. Today, we are going to talk about navigating specs and product selection when you don't have a spec writer, best practices to leverage your time when managing the spec writing process, and things to think about when you are writing specifications yourself. 
Tell me one interesting thing about yourself that has nothing to do with our industry or the work that we do. Well, a wise woman told me that you shouldn't be so proud of your achievements. You should be known for the achievements of your children. So I'm, I'm really fortunate. My, my son, Robert, founded Etsy, the e-commerce site for handmade goods. My daughter is a professor in linguistics at Princeton University. And my other son, who's trained in architecture, has decided to run a yoga studio. I read that and I'm like, your kid founded Etsy? I'm pretty proud of my boys. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I just won't go there. I don't have a kid that founded Etsy, but they're pretty amazing as well. And I love your answer to that question. So, okay, we are experiencing, in my opinion, we are experiencing an issue in our industry that is quickly becoming a very real problem. And even though I've been talking about this for 20 years, people are just beginning to see the train that has already hit the wall. That issue is that a good majority of our train spec riders have or are about to retire. I am personally seeing, and I've seen this more than multiple times, firms spending two to three years trying to find a train spec rider to take over for their retiring spec rider. Almost all of the independent spec riders that I know, which are quite a few, are absolutely buried in work. You call them and they're like, I'm weeks or months out. And many of them are also approaching retirement age. So the result is that many firms are telling their project managers to just write your own spec, even though they don't have appropriate training in the preparation of contract documents. Many firms and professionals have a lack of real understanding of the importance and legal weight of our contract documents, or that they are the rules of the road for the project. A second issue is that products, technology, and how we design our buildings is changing so fast that it is increasingly difficult for these design professionals to design their buildings, do all the product research, have all the meetings, and now they have to write their own spec. So today I want to talk to you and get some advice for these firms that don't have a spec writer on how they can do a better job on their documents and also talk about some of the resources that might be available to them that they may not be aware of to help them better and more efficiently navigate product selection. So let's start with this. In your opinion, why is it problematic for a firm to just have anybody in the firm, their PMs, or I, I've seen junior staff that are fairly fresh out of school, here, write this spec and I'll look at it when you're done. Why is it problematic for firms to do that when they can't find a spec writer? Well, you raise some good points, Cherise. You know, first of all, when a firm puts out documents that uh, we call them fake specs, you're really just inviting the contractor to bring a wheelbarrow to the next meeting, fill it with the owner's money and the firm's reputation. You, you can't stay in business like that. So going back to your first point where you say the train that's hitting the wall, um, so you have a couple of choices. You can take away the wall, pretend it's not there. Maybe the track just goes into the water because there are a lot of senior people who are retiring. You're, you're absolutely correct. But those people learned in a, in a different generation. I couldn't copy text from a spreadsheet to a Word document in the early part of my career. I had to write the words. Now, there are millions of words out there. The other thing is just get on a new train. The train is a model that works 
with architects who have some level of training or even administrative people who have some level of training and have to take on the responsibility of writing specs. So you take it piecemeal. My, my real advice, probably the key advice, is don't do anything you're not comfortable with. That fake spec, the money in the wheelbarrow, that's not a joke. I learned a long time ago as a spec writer that I have two real jobs. One is to get the designer what they want, get their design intent built. And the second is not to confuse the contractor's estimator. The architect works on the job for a year. The contractor gets uh, a month to bid it. The drywall sub gets a morning. The spec really has to be clear. There are 300 uh, people taking off a lot of projects uh, and estimates, and they're the future of their firms rely on their ability to do that correctly. We've all seen contractors who bid too low. It, it doesn't work. The other point is, I don't actually think there's a shortage of spec writers. I think there's a shortage of people who want to do spec writing full-time. Because there are 80,000 projects done in this country each year. And even skip spec consultants and independent practice only has 250 members. Those those people can't write 80,000 specs. So somehow the job is getting done. And it's often left to, um, as you say, junior people. But they have to be smart enough to know that the firm owes them the resources to get things done. The most successful model that I've seen are firms that set up a master. Perhaps your firm does this as well. I know you have nine offices. And so when I'm sleeping or you're sleeping, people can still write specs. There's, there's a resource on their drive, which is a place to start from. Because in design and through construction documents, you're looking for different things out of a spec. So it's a wood door, and then it's a wood door with a transparent finish, and then it's a wood door with a transparent finish and a five-ply face and a stave core core. But the question, if you're in design, is what veneer am I after? So those more detailed questions tend to get pushed off. Project managers, a lot of them, I'm, I'm surprised. Last month, project managers sent out a spec for a $20 million project and then had me review it. Of course, I wrote the masters, but they felt confident enough in their decision making to do that. Because the firm knows that the project manager is the best person to write the spec because they know the most about it. You know, if I'm working on 50 projects a year, if I'm working on 100 projects a year, I can't possibly know it as well as the project manager of, of that. So we break it down, have a meeting, we fill out a checklist, we move forward, and I can assess based on the checklist process how much to help the project manager. There are five types of waterproofing. Many of them can't pick. That's why I'm here. But in the dark, if they have a master, they can pick. One of the first things you said is don't do anything you're not comfortable with. And one of the things that I've seen, because again, right now we're talking about firms who don't have you, don't have a spec writer, and we can't make the assumption that they have a decent master either, because I know how much work I've done on people's. You're absolutely right, Sharice, but you know what the number one master specification is in the United States? No. It's your last project. Well, yeah, exactly. You've got it in word format, and no, there are no change orders. So that's exactly what a firm does. 
they grab the last speck. They hope it's close. You, you just keep getting closer. The problem is that projects are being priced halfway through design development, and people are starting to fabricate um, at the beginning of the construction documents because the owners are trying to catch whatever market they're after. So people are just trying to go as fast as they can. And I see that. And I don't allow copying a past project unless it really, really, really makes sense. Every once in a while, there's an exception to that rule because it doesn't get closer and closer. It may have the things you really needed for this building, but what you can't see in copying the last project are the things that you need different for this building because it's not a master where you can see all your choices. Well, so another thing you said before I move on to the next question, you talked about giving your staff resources. And one of the things that um, if I was queen of the world, you would not be allowed to work in this industry if you didn't have a minimum of the CDT and understand not only what your documents are supposed to do, but how a project is supposed to be delivered. Right. And I get nervous that if one project needs uh, 16 gauge doors and another needs 14 gauge doors, Unfortunately, the junior person may not catch that. Yesterday, I issued a spec that was 2,300 pages. The day before, I issued a spec that was 3,200 pages. The spec that I'm sitting next to right now, one, I can't lift the drawings. So they're either printed half size and I still can't lift them. And it was 9,000 pages. So what is going on? You tell somebody they have to do a 9,000 page document and be responsible for what Sergei said to Svetlana on page 912. Um, between the structural engineer, the civil engineer, the lighting engineer, the MEP engineer, the security engineer, the structural engineer, civil, life safety, landscape architect, lighting design, audiovisual, acoustics, building envelope, graphics and signage, site steam, chilled water, irrigation, vertical transportation, door hardware geotechnical engineering, existing building scanning, land survey, exhibition designers, construction manager. Holy cow. I really believe in architecture, it takes a team to fail. Not a team to succeed, it takes a team to fail. So if you're standing there in the restroom and the moisture-resistant drywall is falling off the ceiling, it's because moisture-resistant drywall does not belong on the ceiling, according to all the manufacturers. In fact, they don't even make MR board anymore. So how did that happen? Somebody designed it, somebody drew it, somebody specced it, somebody bid it, somebody bought it, somebody put it in. That's the failure of the whole team. And nobody caught it. <laughs> right. So, And that's the same thing with a solution to the problem. It's everybody's problem. We're trying to get this building open. We want the people to be able to use the building for its intended purpose. So you want people to have the tools to get the job right, and we need to work collaboratively. But organizations like CSI and AIA and SKIP are trying to do the best they can. I think people need to know that there are actually those resources out there for them. Um, you know, most of the people that I teach CDT to only found out because I have a really big mouth on social media and I'm constantly promoting it. And I'm involved with the Young Architects group and I do a lot of mentoring. And I, I have to explain over and over and over again what CDT is and why it's so important. And in all the hundreds of students I've had now, I do not have one that said, oh, that wasn't worth it. Yeah. CSI wanted uh, the National Architectural Accrediting Board 
to require CDT as part of the architectural curricula. They said, no, schools for design, we can't fit any more in. This is the only time they'll ever learn design. What are the typical things that you think that design team members just don't get about their contract documents? One thing they don't get is that someone else is going to use them. Somebody else is downstream. Somebody else wants the documents to be really clear. So when you gloss over something, you know it doesn't really fit, but that's where you wanted to put it. Who's supposed to figure that out? I've had contractors in the field say, where do you want the window? And I'm going, you've got the drawings. And they said, okay, so where do you want the window? If people have to take their own projects through construction administration once, they'll get it. It's really hard being a PM on a construction site, you know, when you're trying to orchestrate all the trades. So if you want your firm to stay in business, you have to have the tools to do so. You know, when I started my career, the spec writers were principals. They were like one of the two or three most important people in the firm. They were really responsible for making the firm work. And then somewhere down the line, spec writers got pushed into a corner. People didn't understand what they were doing. They knew they still needed them. It didn't seem to be causing too much trouble. But now I think there's an awareness. Larger firms wouldn't think of not doing a decent job on their specs. And so those project managers, if they need training, as you said, they really need CDT. They also need a mentor. They also need a master document that they can go read. And, you know, the lunch and learns, which stopped with the pandemic, are coming back a little bit. You know, many of the reps who tell me they put on on these lunch and learns say people are just coming for the food. You need to come for the knowledge. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've been telling you know, my product reps that I'm connected to for a while now, you need to get back into the firm and firms and do the 101 presentations, roofing 101 or chipboard 101 or whatever, because as this generational shift is happening, all these young people are being asked to do things 10 or 15 years sooner than historically they ever have before in the history of our industry. And they're, they're bright and they're motivated but they don't have the experience yet. That's all they're missing. They haven't encountered that thing yet. So I've been asking for a lot of that because so many firms are full of these young people and they're hungry to know these things. You know, the last recession, a lot of people retired. So the mentoring slowed down, then the pandemic hit and the mentoring slowed down even more. And now people are trying to go back to the office two days a week, three days a week. Where's that mentoring going to come from? You know, I agree with you. It's uh, a real problem. But to get back to your question, what's the minimum of training that I think they should have? I think they need a heartbeat and a paycheck. Any spec writer who isn't making $100,000 a year should give me a call. 617-872-7875. That's 617-872-7875. They're so valuable. They're so valuable to their firm. They understand how to walk a team through a process. We're always invited now at the schematic design phase. There was a time when somebody would say, well, we're in the middle of CDs. The deadline's Thursday. Today's Tuesday, so so do a spec. And I'll, I'll say, okay, I'll give you the best two-day spec you ever could have. <laughs> but it won't be done. It won't be right. But, Charisse, I think you and I have a secret. The secret is either one of us could write any a draft of any spec in one day. 
Absolutely. If you get an hour's conversation with the architect and our knowledge and depth, we could get something out there, but it shouldn't come to that. So let's move to the next question. If a firm can't find a spec writer, what should I do? What are some best practices you can share with me to help me do a better job? Because I can't find a spec writer and I have to write these documents and I don't really know a lot about specs. What are your best practices? My advice is you have to stay in your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is only doing the drawings, you have to expand that to being able to fill out a, um, a checklist of, of what's in and out of the project. You know, are there style and rail doors? Or are they flush wood doors? Is it curtain wall or masonry? Because that tells the contractor how long the schedule has to be and what their staffing needs to be. So if you can fill out the checklist, then maybe you can fill out the outline spec. You can get the free outline spec uh, on RCAT. Um, make sure that you've got a team that's writing their own specs, The all the different engineers that I cited before. There are times you get into impossible situations. The owner would not hire a, a structural engineer for some concrete pads, so we made it delegated design. You know, I've seen delegated design for the whole exterior wall. The architect uh, draws the profiles they want, and they hire a design assist contractor, and they take care of that spec, or they, um, they can't figure out what paint to use. Uh, they jump on the RCAT website, uh, Sherwin-Williams rep tells me he meets with the architect, goes on the website, uh, goes to the spec wizard. He know, they've got Sherwin-Williams has 300 paints. He only needs seven. He checks a few boxes. He gets a Word document in 10 seconds. He gives it to the architect. The architect gives it to me. Okay, so the painting section is done. Okay, now we got to talk about doors. Who do you get to write that one for you? But there's money. And I mean, if if you're going to buy $100,000 of carpet with a seven-page carpet spec, there have to be some words in there that make a difference. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, so you had some other best practices when you're actually writing the spec. Yeah. You know, never duplicate info in the finish schedule on the drawings because the finish schedule is always going to change. Never type drawing lists. I've seen some spec writers do that. I don't know why they'd want to do that. I don't. Hell no. <laughs> Uh, don't put page numbers in the table of contents. End of section does it. I see specs that say this page not used. That's really useful in a PDF, don't you think? <laughs> this page not used. So, you know, you distribute electronically. The document runs sequentially. I always pull together the consultant specs and do the table of contents because I don't trust anyone else to do it. You have people with the same spec format. You can use color if you've got a master and you're trying to uh, highlight where decisions need to be made. But as the project architect writing the spec is the person they need to stand in front of the mirror and say, okay, what do I need here? And what decisions can I advance? And what can't I? You do the best you can and you don't fake it. And when you do need to fake it, you only say the words you need. People now don't know that provide means furnish and install. So I see provide and install all the time. And then they, in this metals, it talks about anchors and bolts and washers. Well, when you start enumerating like that, you can only forget something. The architect doesn't have to be perfect. As you know, the contractor has an obligation to ask questions during bidding. So I would be absolutely remiss if we didn't chat about this. Obviously, this is the RCAP podcast. I'm just the talent. <laughs> 
and you happen to also write specs for our cat. So I thought maybe you could take a few minutes to tell me about this resource and how firms can use it to their advantage in both specifications and product selection. But tell me a little bit about how that could help somebody who doesn't have a spec writer and help them maybe at least start off on a decent foot. Well, yeah, I've been involved with, um, you know, full disclosure with with Arcat for 15 years. We've written a lot of the manufacturer specs. The nice thing about the manufacturer specs is they're written with the manufacturers and a spec writer. So the manufacturer knows what they make and the, and the spec writer helps communicate that. It's not wishful thinking when you see an RCAT spec. There are seven models of, of this folding door and here they are. And it's been vetted by the technical people in that company. RCAT has a free outline spec and short form spec, which started out as our master short form spec. You can write a spec by a checklist. You can write a spec on your phone with the RCAT app. So if you, if you really need a short form spec and you know it's in your project and you're an architect, you got it because there are places where there are a lot of manufacturers to choose from and there's some where there are just a few, but it's pretty robust. And, you know, Rick and Leslie Janot and uh, Bill and Casey probably promote the CSI format almost more than CSI does. They know that you have to organize information. So you've got specs that are real. You've got details that are real. You've got profile pages. So you go to ARCAT. There's just one, you know, what do you want to look for? I want to look for steel siding. So up come the steel siding manufacturers. Now, some of them have specs on the site and CAD details and BIM objects, and some don't. But any manufacturer is entitled to a free listing. So you'll see everybody. And their 800 number is there. And uh, so it really is as comprehensive as a, a source. You know, there are master specification systems. And I've, I've been involved with all of them. And um, if you have 20 manufacturers in a coiling door section, they they don't all make the same thing. It's just an amplified fake spec. So those 900 specs, those 10,000 details, you can really trust the information a lot of reps use it to write their own specs for the architect because they have the spec wizard program and the manufacturers can update their specs, you know, for free. You know, uh, there's a change and, you know, we're, we're constantly making changes. Um, you know, there are four people writing those specs for RCAT. So it's a real resource. It's a search resource. You know, you can look for something in Google and you'll have 2 million hits in a tenth of a section. A second, but it won't have anything to do with architecture. I can't remember what it was that I was looking for, but I searched in Google and all it came up was references to Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> M at the beginning and Roe at the end and up it came. So it's it's a real reliable, verified source. And and all the people who provide master specification systems uh, strive to that level, but I think RCAT with the details and the profile pages. You know, it's a pleasure when I get information from them from an architect. One of my um, biggest gripes is that I would venture to say 90% of the manufacturer's specs 
that I go grab because I need information from whatever manufacturer are not written properly. And so I have to, I sp I've spent as much as three days rewriting one section to get it in the shape I needed it to be in with the language that I can use as a design professional before I use it. And so whenever I speak to product reps, I understand it's not the product rep's fault. It's the powers that be in whatever manufacturing company that decided we're going to just focus on sales or, oh, somebody put this in three parts. So it's a three-part spec. Tell them we have a three-part spec. I laugh when I hear that because then they hand me this thing and it's got three parts. Nothing's in the right part. It's missing half the stuff it should cover. And it's dated 2020. <laughs> it just, it, it, and I have actually done some work for manufacturers and helped them rewrite their, their master guide specs that they give architects and done a ton of work on it to get it to what it should be as opposed to what they thought. I had one that I worked on that when I got the section, I looked at it and I called the manufacturer back and I said, okay, I looked at your website and you have like different products in different arenas. Which one does this spec cover? And they told me, well, all of them. And I said, you have products that belong in six different divisions. And this is this, this one spec is what you give to your architects. How do they have any idea what they're choosing? And we ended up ripping that apart into ended up being 15 different sections in six different divisions, I think is what it ended up being when we were done. Yeah, because that was, that was the right the right way to do it. Back in 2009 with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, we parsed out the 22,000 pages and the Unified Facilities Guide Specs into BIM nouns so you could drive a spec from the model. So we proved it could be done. It was called SPI, S-P-I-E, Specifiers Property Information Exchange. And we offered to help any architect who wanted to put spec information into the model. But as it turns out, the reviteers, as they call themselves, maybe with a little ears on, um, they're, they're drawing a roof. And I said, so what's that? Well, it's seven inches. I said, well, is it built up or single ply or what is it? I said, actually, we don't know. We're, but this is what we're drawing with our library. And I said, well, okay, if it's metal deck, it's this. If it's concrete, it's that. So there's that lack of um, connection with the technical. I stood by their, their shoulders, tried to pour entrance door information into the model and then shook the model and it didn't come out. You know, the AGC is the number one trainer for BIM. And what the contractors really want, is, I, you know, Honestly, I think what they want is quantities because you get so many people taking off the same project. So it's there. There's a step-by-step -step guide on how to connect your, your, you know, your attributes in BIM to, to your spec, but the architects aren't being paid to do it. And the contractors are redrawing the model. Well, and the modelers, you can't just put all this information and make it available in BIM. Um, without doing some additional training for your modelers, because they still have to know what to choose. You can put in families till you're blue in the face. Yeah, they're not the, the product selectors. They're the draftsmen. Um, so just for fun, before the world domination question, just for fun, what is the weirdest thing you have ever had to specify on a project? Um, it was a camel racetrack. And the problem with a camel racetrack, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, is that 
The camels are being ridden by robots, and the cars are driving outside the rail next to the racing camels, shouting instructions to the robots, which can whip the camel to make it go faster. So you're trying not to kill either the camels or the drivers. They have racetracks for camels. I mean, aren't camels kind of slow? <laughs> I have like racetracks for camels? Well, okay. So it's a little known fact that camels now run 30% faster because of uh, breeding. And my guess is whatever those robots are, are probably shocking them. But, you know, we also put air conditioning under the sand for a zoo in the Middle East because the animals that lived in South Africa didn't like the heat in Northern Africa. In, in Mazdar City, a green city that we wrote a, a spec for that's under construction, you get off the bus, the electric bus from the airport at the edge of the city, which had no vehicles. And when you got to your hotel room, your baggage would have gotten there and been unpacked for you. I actually went to a presentation on that project. There's a lot of crazy things that happened in that project. I was just, I've talked about that since I went to that presentation. I don't know how many times because I was just like, this is really happening, this this thing. Yeah. So yeah, go look that one up. Okay, so your final question. What is your world domination statement, personal or professional? What mark do you personally hope to leave on this world? Well, you know, I'm, I'm too old and too smart to try and take over the world, but I hope somebody will. You know, you look at a firm like Lurch Bates, that's elevator consultants, uh, that are now in 30 countries, or you look at Schumann Smith in England that do quantity serving as well as specs. Or you look at your own firm where you're doing a specialty like building enclosure and you've got nine offices. Somebody needs to roll up spec writers so that that database builds and builds and builds so that you don't have this problem of being a junior person because you can plug in to a system that will know where you are and take you where you need to go. And it's, it's not really AI. You know, and, and how do we get there? I don't know if you've heard of a DAO, which is a, a decentralized autonomous organization. It's an organization run by members. I think of it as if you, if Skip, for example, was a DAO, you'd have a spec uh, vending machine where the computer would make sure the contracts were signed and the money was in escrow and everything was fine. And if you were a spec writer and you just liked doing bank buildings, you could do bank buildings. If you wanted to do labs, you could do labs. Because early in my career, spec writers competed with each other because it seemed that there were enough of them. Now that it's so short, no spec writer really should ever have to worry about being laid off because somebody's going to pick them up the next minute. Um, I'm hoping somebody will will roll up the spec writers into an organization that doesn't quite exist yet. Mark, I can't thank you enough for being here today. I have so many things, like hours of conversation that we could have about all kinds of things, but I, I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Well, and thank you, Sharice, because your reach is phenomenal. And you're one of the people who can be a world changer. So it, it, I can't imagine the energy that it takes, but keep at it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. 
While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.